welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. I'm your host, Claire Marinan. The Hadassah Collective is a unique wellness-centered community created in and inspired by India, the birthplace of holistic health disciplines. The Hadassah Collective podcast brings together a carefully curated selection of my most trusted and inspiring innovators from every area of the health and wellness space. I invite my guests to freely share their gifts, their wisdom, their journeys, and their diverse points of view, discussing a vast range of topics, including shutdown and self-isolation strategies, integrated diet and fitness, yogic science, modern mental health, and holistic lifestyle, all to inspire you with relatable tools to help you consciously customize, support, and expand your life. In this week's episode, I'm speaking with Angela Perga. She is the founder of Simple Ayurveda and the Simple Ayurveda Collective and is also the host of the Simple Ayurveda podcast. Angela is incredibly gifted at taking this ancient knowledge and wisdom from the oldest healthcare system, protocol and science in the world and being able to present it in a way that is very practical to be able to support your modern life without losing the essence and the wisdom in the ancient original texts. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It's really packed full of information on how you can integrate the wisdom of Ayurveda into your everyday life. Hi, Angela. Welcome to the Hadassah Collective podcast. It is fantastic to have you here. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Most welcome. So why don't we dive right in and let's get started with, can you paint us a little picture about who you are, what you do, where in the world you are? Sure. My name is Angela Perger and I teach Ayurveda and yoga. I'm in, I'm on the Gulf Coast of Florida. So back in my hometown after living in the Northeast of the United States for 15 years. So it's been great to be back home. And I teach Ayurveda because it is the tool that's been so helpful for me in my own life to overcome some health challenges. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so you said that you have had some health challenges. Can you paint a bit of a picture about how you grew up, where you grew up? You've just recently returned home. And did any of the, like, um, you know, where you went to school and what that looked like for you. Did any of that shape what you're doing now? For everyone, our childhood shapes so much of who we are in adulthood, even when we don't recognize it. But basically, I grew up um, eating a standard American diet. So I think Mm -hmm. everyone's probably familiar with that of canned vegetables and um, a lot of meat and just processed food and soda and chips. And of course, my parents just didn't know uh, better. It was the 80s. (laughs) Also, I had chronic ear infections and took a lot of antibiotics and things like that. So Mm. that starts to cause deterioration, deterioration and health over time. Um, meanwhile, my dad was in the air force. So we traveled around. I lived in Montana and I lived in England for chunks of time in my childhood and then back to Florida where I was born. Mm -hmm. Um, so I've always had a lot of that Vata wind influence in my life. So yeah. it's it's fun like diving in when we look at ourselves because sometimes it's hard to separate what is our desire for movement and then like what was just naturally presented to us. And I definitely have a lot of movement and change <laughs> that shows up in my Ayurvedic constitution as well as in my birth chart. Uh, so for me, there's just a lot of 
open-mindedness and travel and being exposed to different things. Um, so that definitely contributed to being open toward Ayurveda. And then in my early 20s, I was an inner city school teacher, which is what led me on the path of yoga. I started going to yoga class in Philadelphia just as a way of stress relief and yeah. I guess I would say exercise. Um, but as anyone that's practiced yoga knows, <laughs> many times we start going for a better body or less aches and pains in our back or, or some sort of like important but a little more surface level reason. And then once the magic of yoga takes hold, it becomes so much more. So that happened for me. And have, practicing yoga first is what led me to Ayurveda. Mm -hmm. um, during my first 200-hour training, I was introduced to the concept. And I was interested in it but a little confused by the doshas, which I think is a common experience. Yeah. And then uh, throughout the years, I was always a little bit interested in it. And meanwhile, I had a health crash in my in college, which resulted in being diagnosed with ulcerative colitis mm. and primary sclerosing cholangitis, which is an autoimmune liver condition. Wow. And so the path of Ayurveda led me down all different paths of trying different foods and, and different lifestyle practices or the path of yoga, <laughs> and then Ayurveda was part of that. And then eventually, after trying pretty much everything out there from paleo to Whole30 to veganism to raw, um, I landed at Ayurveda, which to me is like the mother of all of it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because it's the, it's the ancient wisdom that all the other things are kind of taking a piece of it and going with it and work for some people, but Ayurveda sort of gives us the underlying foundation of, of why these different diets might be helpful or why they might not for certain people. Yeah. Um, and so that's how I ended up at Ayurveda. And once I started studying Ayurveda formally and really living the lifestyle and practicing it, um, I just got so many unexpected benefits from it, like change in energy and ha more feeling happier and at ease and my digestive system was just in su such better condition that that's when I started talking about Ayurveda and podcasting and teaching. Mm -hmm. I just felt like this is basically like free medicine. Yeah. Yeah. Of tapping back into mother nature. And um, so, yeah, it's like a very windy, nonlinear path <laughs> as we, <laughs> as we all know Always. when it comes to healing. <laughs> yeah. That's the beauty. That's the beauty. And I mean, I do, I find Ayurveda so interesting and somewhat confusing as well. Like I've dipped in and out of it by, you know, being obsessed with it in one aspect and, you know, wanting to know everything about it. But I, do, I feel like it's one of those processes that it's like you dive in and have the first level of understanding and then apply it and then sort of go further in and apply something else and keep going on that journey rather than trying to know everything and be perfect at everything. Um, it's not that kind of system, you know? So, um, yeah, I think that's so interesting. And one of the other interesting things is the rise in autoimmune disease. Um, I mean, I think out of the 20 guests that I've had this year on this podcast, um, you are the fourth person that has had ulcerative colitis. That's quite a percentage, I think, you know? Um, it's it's becoming so much more common, and I think as you say, it's it really is due to this um, this Western diet that we have sort of were raised on, and um, 
I definitely think as well with, with issues of immunity and things like that floating around our world at the moment, um, it's really powerful to dive back into this ancient wisdom and have a look at where we've gone wrong and where we need to reset and realign. So I think that's amazing. So um, what do you think, um, like let's talk a, a bit more personally before we get into the nuts and bolts of Ayurveda because I have so many questions for you. I'm so excited. Um, and um, so do you think that there was a moment, um, like a, a dark night of the soul, that um, this process and this practice has helped you through? And what did that look like? And how did Ayurveda support you through those moments? <laughs> I, I'm just laughing because... It's like, I how many like... do we have time for? That's <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, there's been quite a few dark night of the souls for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, really the, the kick off the catalyst for, uh, searching outside of myself for some way of healing happened mm-hmm. in college. So I moved into my dorm when I was 18, I was eating crap. I lived the typical college lifestyle. I started drinking caffeine, drinking a lot of beer, you know, doing all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, I did not recognize this at the time at all because I was so fiery. I was like, I'm moving away to college, like goodbye hometown. I don't need you. (laughs) You know, I just wanted to like experience something new in life so badly. But now looking back, my emotions were just all over the place, (laughs) like not knowing anyone and not having like, any sort of support, which is a common experience yeah. for young adults. Like we have this fantasy and this dream of moving out and doing things on our own. And then mm-hmm. things don't exactly look like what we expect them to look like. Yeah. And so looking back, I see a combination of food and drink and sugar and caffeine and like living in a lifestyle completely out of alignment with nature, staying up all night, sleeping in or not getting enough sleep, you know, mm-hmm. having early morning class after partying all night in combination with poor food. And and so all of that basically led to a health crash when I was 21. Yeah. And that's when I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis. So that was a, a six to eight month process of having major digestive distress, mm-hmm. you know, in and out of different doctor's offices and testing. And meanwhile, oh, sometimes I even forget about everything I went through in this time period. It's like I blocked it out. I had alopecia, which is when your hair falls out. So I had a big patch of no hair, which is all related. Usually when there's one autoimmune condition, a couple other ones are combined together. It's basically the body's malfunctioning. It's in toxic overload and there's disconnection um, from our true selves. And so this manifests in different ways. So that was like the start of the process. And then uh, I found a doctor, I had to take steroids and, you know, there was like a slow, uh, crawling out of that hole, eating like very simple foods like rice. And at the time I was eating like turkey burgers or something <laughs> that's like very simple for a college student to cook, you know, kind yeah. of like gentle paleo ish, mm-hmm. I guess, although rice isn't paleo, but anyways, you get the point, very simple foods. Yeah, um, so then great. when I, um, I had planned to join the Peace Corps. That was my dream. And I was already like studying Spanish and accepted to move to Costa Rica. And I was really excited. And so when, when colitis happened, my doctor was like, you can't really go do this anymore because the Peace Corps doesn't want to be responsible for 
um, someone with an autoimmune condition, like sending you to a country where you might not get the health care that you need. So I had to reevaluate and figure out what I was going to do. So that was definitely like a huge <laughs> dark night painful. of the soul. And yeah. I applied for all these different things and I decided to, I moved to New York City and went to grad school for education. So I decided that, um, because my undergrad was in journalism, and then when I got accepted to the Peace Corps, they were going to put me in as a teacher in a school, and I was like, you know what, that was something I was interested in as a child. I was always playing teacher in school, so I decided to go back to school as a teacher. So then once I went to New York, I was exposed to, you know, um, Buddhist meditation and yoga and, like, all the good stuff. (laughs) Um, So that was, like, the introduction, really, and the catalyst for looking out, believing there was another way of eating than what I was raised on, because... Mm -hmm. To me, it's like when you are diagnosed with a digestive condition and the doctors are telling you it has nothing to do with food, it's like, how can it not have to do with food? It has to do with the way your body processes food. It's not functioning correctly. It must have something to do with food. So the seed was planted, and that's when also in New York, you know, and um, being exposed to, like, all different types of food and different cultures, and I lived in Astoria, so I had access Mm. to all of that yumminess and um, that kind of set me on the path of trying different things. Yeah. And then, um, I lived in New York for two years and after that I moved to Philadelphia and got a job as a teacher. And that's when I started regularly going to yoga and that opened me up to vegetarianism and farmer's markets and eating locally and all of that stuff. So it was like a long windy journey with food for me. And then we can just fast forward to after my son was born when I really started diving into Ayurveda, um, basically I had gone to a naturopath and another Ayurveda practitioner and a couple of different people because once I was pregnant, hypothyroidism kicked in. It's like, yeah, anyone knows these autoimmune conditions, they just all come with each other. Yeah. Is it (laughs) true that it can either like heal the autoimmune disease or it makes it, it accentuates it? Like I've heard that people can go either way when they're pregnant. Um, during and after pregnancy yes it's possible because sometimes um if you are eating like a lot of junk food or drinking alcohol or using like recreational drugs and then you get pregnant and you stop doing that your system can be less aggravated so sometimes people are healthier during pregnancy because Mm -hmm. it's like we don't care enough about ourselves to be disciplined (laughs) with our food and lifestyle, but we care so much about our unborn baby that we'll do anything for it. And therefore we have to create the optimal conditions for that baby. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. Of course, help us to feel better. So yes, that's absolutely possible. I was was thinking, I was like, it's this divine feminine womb magic (laughs) that suddenly heals everything, you know? So I know that a friend of mine who had really bad ulcerative colitis, a similar, very similar journey to you actually just, you know, was diagnosed Western medicine, again, told her nothing to do with diet, you just need to take all of these drugs and live with it. And then she started playing with different foods, and she she now has also healed herself through diet and lifestyle changes. But when she, um, and she just gets very minimal bouts now, but um, she, when she was pregnant, she was like, I just hope that this, the rumors are true, and this completely heals my ulcerative colitis. But it didn't, but it, it changed the way that she managed it. You're right, because you're thinking about somebody else, and so your body needs to be in optimal condition to once the baby's born as well to be able to look after that baby. So um, I think it's just people pay more attention to it. You're right. 
Yeah, I think you said something really magical there because we you you said it changed the way she managed it, and mm. I've gone I've gone through phases since finding Ayurveda, discovering Ayurveda. Where at first, like when I started practicing Ayurveda full time, like really focused on the food and focused on the daily lifestyle, I thought I was completely healed. Like I thought I'm like I got um, a colonoscopy. And my doctor said, there's no signs of colitis. Mm. And I was like celebrating and I'm like, oh, I don't have it anymore. Like, I just really believe that. Like, I don't have it anymore. And then eight months later, my mom was in the hospital and I was stressed and I was eating like junk food because I didn't take the time to prepare my own food. And I got a flare up and I'm like, oh, wait, now it didn't go away forever. And so it's, I think it's also really important for anyone listening that does have a chronic illness or an autoimmune condition that's pretty challenging that it, there's an ebb and a flow. And, and what you said there was so beautiful about the way that we managed it because that's the same for me. It's yeah, My relationship with it is totally different because now I can notice if something is slightly off yeah. and hopefully nip it in the bud or take a nap or yeah. <laughs> eat something soothing. You know, like I can make choices so that it doesn't escalate. And that's a huge gift from Ayurveda that I feel like in a lot of other systems or protocols, but there's not as much emphasis on listen to your own body. And this is some, these are some of the things to look for. Yeah. And this is like, like, for example, you know, Ayurveda teaches that um, gas or excessive burping or something that we would just kind of consider normal in our Mm -hmm. culture that's a sign that things aren't right. And so it's like, yeah, if you notice like, okay, I've had a lot of gas today or loose elimination, like looking at what's going on right away rather than just like living it with it for three months. And then all of a sudden it like turns into some big thing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think stress plays a big factor as well. And it's interesting how you said when you moved to New York, you started exploring farmer's markets and organic food and things like that. I feel like these um, these things, like these diseases that used to be less common, like when I was at school, you know, I never, you heard of someone who knew someone who had an autoimmune disease or even breast cancer or, or these diseases that now are so common. Um, and, and I really think that this is contamination. This is a totally different topic, but it's contamination of the food supply and, um, you know, a lot, a lot of that going on. So it's, it's really interesting prioritizing like healthy, real organic food um, instead of this kind of plastic food-like product that we are kind of obsessed with. Um, but I think something that you touched on there as well was in terms of Ayurveda, one of the things that I find interesting about it is that when I first discovered Ayurveda, again, through yoga, and I was like, okay, this is cool how they mix together. And you know, um, very interesting. But I came at it with this very Western mindset of, you know, and again, I've done every diet on the planet since I was like 13 years old. And I came at it with this Western diet mindset. And it was like, okay, so give me the food list, give me the things I can eat, give me the things I can't, you know, and those kind of things where Ayurveda is not like that. And it is the beauty of Ayurveda is in the balancing and the nuances of Ayurveda. And I think that that's the kind of switch that we need to make in our minds as well, that this is an ancient practice, an ancient science that is not, um, 
a 10 point how to, you know, Pinterest post, like, right. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's so much (laughs) good stuff in what you just said. That's Mm -hmm. exactly right. Um, I was like that too, as in, I think almost all of us are, especially if we have a lot of pizza in us, like, just tell me what to eat. Like that's, I feel like how I ended up at Ayurveda. Like I tried this diet and this one aggravated this. Like I tried veganism and like a lot of raw kale smoothies and that aggravated my colon and then I tried paleo and that was a lot of meat and that aggravated my liver and I'm like okay well just someone tell me what to eat like I'll just eat whatever but Ayurveda um it puts the responsibility back on us as the individual to start to listen Mm -hmm. to our own bodies and you know eat something and see how you feel two hours later do you feel heavy do you feel light did it digest well Mm -hmm. so a teacher or a guide helps you understand what questions to ask but they're not giving you the answer so there's a lot more self-accountability and self-work but the beauty is is you have so much more freedom because you're not relying on that book or that food list or um that other person to constantly tell you what to do yeah absolutely and for me in in normal years I travel a lot as well so it's like you know, I'm not necessarily in the same place at the same time. I could be in, you know, I could be flying for work and be in the middle of some village in India. And, um, you know, I have to adapt to what is, you know, what what there is to eat in that environment. Um, We don't always have access to um, a supermarket like um, Erewhon or something like this at all times. And so, it is being able to be intuitive with your eating as well and, and be able to know um, how to do that. And Ayurveda is such a beautiful guide for that. And um, I just listened to your um, workshop that you did with the Conscious School of Leadership, um, the Align and Flow membership, the Ayurveda for entrepreneurs. And so I have a couple of questions. I think the way that you present things is so beautiful and so insightful. and. I want to know a little bit about your journey of how you got to that space for other people who are tuning into their giftings and starting to lean into that space as well. Um, you know, how did you, what have you had to overcome in yourself to get to that space where you can present these things in such a beautiful way? There's been a lot of dark night of the soul around that <laughs> as well, around Dharma, <laughs> for sure, for me. Um, Growing up, my dream was to be an activist of some sort, like mm-hmm. to join the Peace Corps, yeah. um, to really be a voice for people or animals or the environment. I wasn't sure exactly what that was going to look like. So in college, my major was journalism. Um, so I've always loved, I, I call it like scrapbooking, basically, right. not actual scrapbooks, but I took photography class in high school remember like the real the dark room Mm -hmm. like actually printing out the photos and playing with that uh and I was editor of my yearbook staff so I've always liked arranging things I Mm -hmm. guess you could say and also I'm I have to admit being in charge (laughs) (laughs) it's good to know these things about yourself though right (laughs) it's helpful that way when you create the leadership that you want to live Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah exactly that it's in alignment um so then when I graduated with a degree in journalism and applied for a bunch of jobs and couldn't even get a free internship anywhere, that was a dark night of the soul moment. Yeah. And that's, I realized, uh, because I was born in Florida, I went to high school in Florida, I went to college in Florida because that was the most affordable economic choice. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to 
go back to school to be a teacher. Like I said, that kind of ignited that um, passion that I always had within me of, um, you know, as a teenager, I volunteered reading to little kids and things like that. I was always involved in the school in some way. Yeah. So I looked up every college that was located in a city where you wouldn't need a car. So I looked up like UCLA and Chicago and New York. I was like, I just want to move to like a big city and live in the city and not have a car. And I came across the city university of New York and I scrolled down the list of all their locations. I saw park Avenue and they had an education program. And I called the school and I'm like, this is my GPA. Do you think I'll get in? And the lady was like, unofficially. Yes. I'm like, okay, that's it. That's where I'm going. So I, um, ended up moving to New York and living in Astoria and doing student teaching and all of that in Harlem. Um, and after that, I met a guy, of course. So that's how I ended up moving to Philly, two hours south of New York. And I was an inner city school teacher there. And um, finally, my now husband has a business in South Jersey, which is like an hour from Philadelphia. So I migrated from Philly to New Jersey and had my son. I was a substitute teacher. It's very difficult to get a teaching job in the suburbs of New Jersey. So I was just a substitute teacher for a little while. What... Um, you know, it's like every experience gives you something, and being mm-hmm. a substitute throws you into a room of kids of various ages yeah. without a, much of a plan, and you just kind of have to adapt and make friends with them or yeah. create the boundaries. It just, like, really pushes you to claim your space and hold yeah. things together. So there's definitely a lot from that job as well. And, um, oh, I started teaching kids yoga and prenatal yoga, at a power yoga studio and I was kind of afraid to teach like a real yoga class because I had always taught um I had ended up I forgot I did yoga teacher training while I was a teacher in Philly and I really just did it because I wanted to teach yoga to the students in my class the second graders yeah. not because I was going to teach adults so I think a lot of people might be able to relate to that you just start taking classes or following things that you're interested in without really knowing where it's going to take you so for me taking yoga teacher training, I remember I asked one of the teachers, can I do this even if I'm not going to teach adults? <laughs> She's like, of course, you can just learn for yourself. I did so it just, I just, for, just yeah. for my own um, process. <laughs> that's, that's absolutely what I did. <laughs> yeah, so it's like I was just, and then um, I, I just ended up like falling in love with yoga and taking a ton of trainings on sequencing, on yin yoga, on kids yoga, like whatever was available. I just signed up for it. And I was teaching at a campground and just a little wellness space. Um, and then when I got the job in the yoga studio, I taught kids yoga and prenatal and mommy and me and like all of the side kind of classes where you don't have a lot of students and it's easygoing. Yeah. And finally I, Started te- I did the power yoga teacher training. I just did that to make friends, honestly, because I had moved to New Jersey and I was a new mom and I didn't have any friends. Yeah. And I'm like, I know if I take a YTT, I'll make friends here. <laughs> so, um, so I did that, and I, um, which was fun. And then I started teaching yin at the studio. So everyone was teaching athletic style. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, can I try to offer this class? And the owner was like, sure. So... The first class, 30 people came, which was a little scary, but wow. <laughs> it was just like, wow, there's a need for this in this community yeah. of someone doing something a little different. Um, so I worked there for five years, and that's where I ended up 
starting to teach teacher trainings because I was the only yin teacher. So when I would travel to Florida to visit my family or go on trips, I would need a substitute for my class. Oh, and yeah. I would write out a class plan and I would write out a sequence. I would even write, I'm so pizza sometimes. I would write out like a book, like read this passage from this book, or here's a quote if you don't have one of your own. <laughs> so then I, um, wow. I was like, I need to train some teachers so they can sub for me. And I ended up like creating a whole chill team, we called it. So I like trained a bunch of teachers in prenatal yoga and yin yoga mm. so that they could teach classes there too. And then it, we ended up having those classes every day as well as calorie yoga. So for me, and then basically for Ayurveda, like I said, I had seen a couple different people. And then I, I was in such a state where my health was like all over the place that the last person I saw was like, I think you should go and um, see one of my teachers. And I just was like, you know what? I'm not seeing anybody else. I'm going to have to just study for myself yeah. <laughs> because I don't think anyone else has the answer. So I signed up for uh, Ayurveda health practitioner program mm -hmm. with only the purpose to get to my own root cause of disease yeah. and to figure it out for myself. And then once I figured, I mean, I'm not going to say I figured it out for myself, like it's a lifelong process. Yeah. But once I understood the foundations and like how so many common things that we do in modern society really just go against nature and go, are, we're like doing so many things against wellness Absolutely. that are common sense but we're just not living in a society that teaches us common sense we're just so conditioned to it we're so conditioned to be separate from creation that we are part of creation and um i feel like there's two timelines at the moment in our society as well that is like you know there is there are people that are recognizing this and that are like the, the way to optimal health is to tune back into that and look at the rhythms of life and and see how we can be in harmony with nature and learn from nature and be part of nature and then there's a completely different timeline that is like sterile separate everything you know at war with and um i think it's an interesting it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out um in the next few years really Oh, I just got goosebumps when you said that because, yeah, this whole idea of, of being at war with your own body or being yeah. at war with the disease, and it's like the disease is part of us. Yeah. Or the whole the imbalance is part of us. So, like, like waging a war against it is just waging a war against ourselves rather than, I mean, for me, also falling in love with yin yoga, which is a meditative style, mm. and just the acceptance piece yeah. has been really important and powerful mm. and... Um, for handling the emotional side of like this isn't going away it's just a part of who you are so <laughs> you're probably like for me I'm one of those people that has a sensitive system I'm always gonna have to pay attention to it yeah yeah absolutely and it's actually it's actually a blessing in disguise because I I see so many parallels between how you're speaking and how you know this exploration of emotions as well like is that Previously, we've kind of been at war with our emotions, suppress them, deny them, you know, um, battle against them. Whereas this awareness that like our emotions are there to sort of indicate when something's out of out of whack or you know something is amazing, and to pay attention with that. The same with disease in our body is like it's it's not um, something that is happening to us. It's something that is happening within our bodies to show us. I need something more. I need you to make different choices and um, and help me, you know. And so 
I'm just in awe of how we, how intricately we are designed. Like it's, it's really quite amazing how all of these systems work together as well. Yes, you know, one teach like um, for example, this autoimmune liver condition that I have. Mm-hmm. It is uh, what Western science explains is that there's hardening hardening that happens of the bile ducts. So it's very rare. There's like nothing to Google. If you Google, you're gonna die. That's what it says. You know, basically. It's like if when you I was have 21, anything, I told me, I don't Google transplant it. Within ten years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, which you know, and, and also they also told me I couldn't have kids. So I have two healthy children, and wow. it's been 17 years, and I did not need a liver transplant. So it's absolutely possible to you know Amazing. overcome or not believe everything they say, but. Yeah. I was just a little confused about it because it was so mysterious and not a lot of people have it and there's not a lot of information about it. And then when I came to Ayurveda, one of my teachers said, it's just heat in your liver. Wow. And uh, to me, like that simplifying it down. And of course, you could look at it from the Western perspective of all this, these functioning systems. And even from Ayurveda, you could take it further and look at, you know, um, the Datus, like the organs of the body and and all of this. Yes, you can definitely pull it apart and analyze it and and look at all these different things. But to just state it so simply that at the end of the day, there's heat in there. Yeah. Made it for me like, oh, wow, there's something I can work with here. Like, okay, I'm overheating my system. I need to do things that are a little cooling or Mm. maybe stop practicing yoga in a 90 degree room every day. (laughs) It's just like when, when we can just pull down to the simple, it makes like, oh, there's something I can do about this. When everyone else said there's nothing you can do, you just have to live with it. Yeah, that's so amazing. And I think that that's also a really important point is um, being really intuitive and aware of who we allow to speak into our lives. You know, because when we give someone like a doctor a position of authority, and there are amazing doctors out there, like no denial that the Western medical system has served us in some way, you know, in terms of emergency care and, you know, things like this. But sometimes we give so much authority to these, to a doctor, and we allow them to speak into our lives and we align to their truth when there are other avenues that we can explore and um, that may serve us better, you know. So I think that that's also an important lesson in that space too. And that simple, that simple way of her just saying there's heat there allowed you to shift so many different things in your lifestyle and, and see how that worked for you. And that's amazing, the outcome. Yeah, yeah. And, and just for anyone listening, too, like I still see my doctors, but I just have less emotion and less attachment to what they tell me. Yeah. I go in there like, okay, I'll just take your information. Like, yes, I'll get a blood test let me know what it says. But yeah. then from there, I'll probably go check in with an Ayurvedic practitioner yeah. about, for suggestions on how to handle it. And, and what is the harm in getting a full perspective? You know what I mean? And getting lots of different perspectives and then seeing, you know, what you're intuitively drawn to. I think that that's like something really powerful as well to be able to do because yeah, it's not the, I don't think it's like throw Western medicine out and you know, all doctors are bad and they're wrong and everything like that. It's not, but it's, it's just an opinion as well, you know, and it, it's great to get a whole armful of opinions, I think. Exactly. And I love to, when we kind of start to play with Ayurveda or understand the simple foundational parts of it, mm-hmm. there are so many other healing modalities that we have 
access to that aren't necessarily quote-unquote Ayurvedic. Like, for example, now I've been seeing an acupuncturist, Mm -hmm. which comes from traditional Chinese medicine, so it's a little, it's not exactly the same system, but it's all in alignment. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So let's get stuck into some Ayurveda. And um, why don't we just start with the the basics of um, what Ayurveda is, what the system is to you, and how you perceive it. Yes. Um, Well, it is the world's longest continually practiced wellness system. Mm. So the word Ayurveda means the knowledge or science or wisdom of life. And just to give an overview, it it's described as diet, lifestyle, quality of sleep, and moderation of sexual energy, that those four components really contribute to our wellness. So that's mm-hmm. what we look at. And then um, life is considered mind, body, soul, and senses. Mm-hmm. So I think most of us totally relate to mind, body, soul, and get those ideas. And then the senses, I haven't found that really anywhere else. tools for our well-being that basically they're the portals that take the outside world and bring it within us so taking care basically not overstimulating ourselves is really important in Ayurveda Um, and that's like listening like if the lights are too bright or the music's too loud like things like that if the food's too spicy or just too many flavors Mm. not continually overdoing it because um, it kind of like makes us less aware of what's going on when we're overdoing it. It's like the senses shut down a little and stop giving us information. So that's been a huge helpful um, piece of it, which is just exactly in line with mindful eating, which is another huge piece of Ayurveda. Mm-hmm. It's not always about like what we're eating, it's how we're eating it. Yeah. <laughs> so whether and we're eating it in calm right. conditions or... You know, like driving and eating versus actually sitting down and eating and things like that. And that's not to say that I never drive and eat, but I think when we're looking at diving into more of an Ayurvedic lifestyle, I kind of like to look at an 80-20 rule for myself or a ratio of like 80% trying to do things more in alignment and then 20% like giving myself the grace of life. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Sort of schedule and two kids and yeah, you have yeah. to be realistic. I, I also exactly. think this is something in, in the wellness industry, especially in yoga. I think that this is something that we need to um, throw out. You know, we've developed this almost puritanical, um, you know, version of um, yoga. And I think it's actually, I think it's actually created more shame and more shadow and hiding and um, you know more of a front that people put on because no one is um, no one is perfect and no one lives this perfect life. Whereas we see, you know, I have friends even that are yoga teachers, and I've been at a party with one of them once, and she said to me, "Can you just hold my wine for a second? Because one of my clients is over there, you know." And so it's this, it, it, and and you know, I I think that that is the mentality that and people do expect like a yoga teacher to be perfect, an Ayurvedic instructor to have this 100% perfect diet and lifestyle plan, you know, and it's unrealistic. I think that we need to sort of live in this gray space, really. Yes, and, you know, I think that in a way uh, there's a little bit of confusion about the role of a yoga teacher or Mm -hmm. the Ayurveda teacher. It's like 
the Ayurvedic and yogic texts, they actually separate that yoga is about spiritual liberation, moksha, mm -hmm. and Ayurveda is for physical and mental wellness. Mm. So what about yoga asana, the poses? That's actually more of a practice of Ayurveda because we're doing it for, yeah. you know, relief of physical pain or just to help our bodies function well, yeah. for, to release stress. That's all kind of more in the realm of Ayurveda than, like, spiritual liberation. And mm. so... I always the, say that, that the, yeah. you know, the 10 minutes of savasana at the end of the yoga class is, that, that's not just a nice like little mini nap, it, that is the purpose of the class, is to find that stillness, you know, that is the yoga. Yes, everything else was just like relaxing you, so you actually lay there. You do that, <laughs> yeah, I could actually do that. Um, and then it's like, so then if we look at like, what is the role of the yoga or the Ayurveda teacher? Hmm. Uh, my role is not to give you spiritual liberation. So therefore, like, I don't need to hold myself up to some sort of yeah. standard of, yeah. like, not having wine at the party or, <laughs> you know, I'm not a yogi living in a cave. Yeah. Uh, I'm just a regular person, that a householder, in the, as the Bhagavad Gita talks yeah. about. The, I'm a householder. Yeah. So therefore, it's like anyone that is sharing yoga or Ayurveda, we're just householders. We don't have to hide who we are, and it doesn't mean that what we're sharing it's like you know we, you had that question about dharma mm. um and like how i'm sharing ayurveda well i'm sharing it in a way that i'm these are the tools that have worked for me yeah and if i try to polish it <laughs> and make myself look perfect or that i don't make mistakes or that i'm doing it all perfectly that's not really sharing the tool yeah <laughs> because you know it's not relatable yeah. you can read something from a website or a book if you just want like the sterile version but yeah. by sharing you know that like yeah sometimes I do eat in my car yeah right and it's like when it comes to yoga like I practice yoga every day but I also um took away my expectation of what sometimes that means like the kids are watching a cartoon and I'm on my yoga mat and there's cartoons in the background yeah. it's not like a per there's no candles and like soothing music <laughs> or you know the sometimes it's like <laughs> yeah uh, or sometimes it's like me in my pajamas next to my bed. Like I just roll out of bed and do yeah. some yoga on the floor. It's yeah. not a perfect hour long sequence or. <laughs> but I think that that is, I think that that's what's real, you know? And I think that that is where we're moving into. I think that that is the, the teachers that are the most powerful, the most impactful are those teachers that are like this, this is how it is, you know? And I think we're moving into a space as well of, um, you know, in these practices of like yoga, Ayurveda, these ancient practices, it's not anymore, it's not about like aspiring to go and live in a cave. It's about taking these tools that we glean from these and taking our, the goodness that we hold in ourselves from these practices and bringing that into the real world. And, you know, that's how we bring light into the real world as well. It's, um, it's no longer that separation from the real world or that desire to separate to find enlightenment, it's like bringing those moments of enlightenment into the world. And I think that that's so powerful for these times that we're in. Yeah. And I also think like a big part of Ayurveda is this connection with the divine on whatever divine is to you. So mm -hmm. Ayurveda is not a religion, just like yeah. yoga is not, but it is written in the Ayurvedic text that 
we are a part of nature. We are a part of something more powerful. So there's a recognition of that. Yeah. And when we, as yoga teachers or Ayurveda teachers, or we're sharing anything that you're passionate about, it doesn't even have to be yoga or Ayurveda, like recognizing that this talent or this gift or this knowledge isn't actually yours. It's like coming from the divine. I feel like it's kind of a hall pass that it doesn't need to be perfect because I'm not sharing like, I'm Angela, the Ayurveda teacher, and I have all the answers. I'm just sharing like this divine download that's yeah. helped me. And uh, the way I present it might be messy and, you know, not exactly perfect. And I might mess up some of the details or something, but um, it, it's not like mine that I own. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it is, Ayurveda is its own divine thing. And I, I don't have to get it perfectly right because I'm just sharing with you like my perspective of it. Yeah. And then you take what you want from it and use it in the way that you want to use it. Amazing. Amazing. So let's talk about the doshas. Can you explain each of the dosha types to us? Yes. So Ayurveda is founded on the five elements. Mm -hmm. We are a part of nature. The word prakriti describes our individual unique constitution. That's also the same exact word that's used to describe nature. So Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful in the language there. And there are five elements, earth, water, fire, air or wind, and ether. Ether is like empty space. Mm -hmm. So those five elements form the three doshas. So the three doshas are vata, pitta, and kapha. Vata dosha is that empty space, ether and wind combined. Mm-hmm. Pitta is fire with a little bit of water. Earth is, I mean, kapha is earth with some water. Okay. So these three doshas show up in so many different ways. There's not something that you actually see. They're more like forces of energy. Mm-hmm. And in Ayurveda, it's taught that we have a unique combination of the three doshas. So each person is born with, for example, like a little bit more pitta, mm-hmm. a little less kapha, minimal vata or you know like we each have our own ratio and then we have what's going on in our life now where one of them could be out of balance and that might not be the one we were born with so for example someone could be more of a kapha type person so that would mean they have earth and water in more proportion than the other two so what that would look like is a body that kind of holds on to nutrients like very stable and secure so maybe thicker bone structure doesn't necessarily mean overweight, it just be the bone structure. So thicker hair, fuller lips, rounder eyes, those are some of the features that might show up in someone with a lot of kapha. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they could be in balance with who they are, which means they'll probably have a little more kapha type personality. Mm-hmm. Or they could be going through like a very fiery time of life and pizza could be out of balance, which would mean like they would focus on that even though technically they're a kapha person. And so can the can your doshas change um, or are you sort of born with this predisposition um, or can it change throughout your life? Because I had a funny experience. I've always, any kind of dosha quiz that I've ever taken and even my Ayurvedic doctor that I went to see in India a couple of years ago, I've always been um, vata kapha. And um, recently, just here in Wahin, I went, I've been to see this amazing Ayurvedic doctor um, who was actually Mother Teresa's physician for like 15 years. 
and um, it's incredible. And when he, so as soon as I met him, I was like, take my pulse, tell me, you know, what what is going on in my body? And um, he said, and he said, I don't even need to look at your pulse. You are, you are not Vata Kapha, you are Vata Pitta. And I was like, that's really interesting. So I wonder if, was I always that or have I, you know, changed and have I balanced some things out and I'm expressing that more or that's what I need in my life more or how does that work? My understanding mm -hmm. is that you are definitely born with a certain constitution. Mm -hmm. um, so I would think in your situation that you are actually, if, if you feel connected to that second doctor, yeah, Mother Teresa's doctor, that person's probably accurate. So when it comes, <clears throat> this is the thing about Ayurveda. So it really depends on like how you're looking at the system as a whole. If you're looking at it for a way to heal, like physical and mental imbalance, it's less important what your constitution is, what you yeah. were born with. And it's more important to look at what's happening now. Yeah. So for example, if you're having anxiety or depression or, you know, acid reflux or arthritis or whatever, yeah. then an Ayurvedic practitioner or doctor is going to look at, well, what's happening right now to cause that imbalance? Yeah. yeah. And therefore your food and your herbs and things are going to be geared toward that imbalance. And it really doesn't matter so much in that case, what you were born with. So when it comes to figuring out what you were born with, the thing is, we are complicated human beings, which is why, <laughs> um, you know, like someone could have looked at you and said kapha because you have like thick, dark hair and that is a feature of kapha dosha. Yeah. However, we all have all three. So who's to say like where, let's say, I don't believe, you know, it's not like we're not percentages, but if I was just going to like use it for us to kind of break down and understand, like, let's say you were. 50% pizza, 20, 30% um, vata, and 20% kapha. But, like, maybe that 20% kapha shows up in your hair, which is the first thing we see when we look at you, like, mm -hmm. your face. Yeah. So, therefore, someone could say, like, wow, you have so much kapha. And it's like, well, actually, if you look at the rest of my body and the bone structure, it's yeah. not kapha. But this yeah. feature that is dominant or prominent is – so that's where – um, well, that's what he said to me, actually. That was interesting because he was like, the way you speak, the way you move your hands, he's like, this is all bitter. I can tell by the way you talk, you know, this is all bitter. And I was like, this is so interesting because I wonder how this plays out. Because maybe a couple of years ago in my life, I was, you know, um, going through different things and maybe I needed that grounding, like that kapha grounding. And so that's what I was like, maybe even manifesting, you know, and you know, now I'm kind of like, go, go, go. I'm, you know, creating new things. And I'm, you know, in that space more. I don't know. Is that how it works? Yeah, there's so much to it, which is why usually when it comes to balancing mm -hmm. how we feel, we just pay attention to what's going on right yeah. now in our life. Yeah. This is getting like so carried away. And so the doshas are, they are forces of energy and they move in cycles. Mm -hmm. And my understanding of Ayurveda is, if, for example, like if you're mostly in balance, then you can just eat seasonally because what grows seasonally automatically balances the doshas when you're eating yeah. like more local or seasonally. And um, the kapha stage of life is birth until like puberty. Mm -hmm. And then the middle stage of life is puberty through menopause or andropause, which is the pitta phase of life. Mm -hmm. 
and then <clears throat> later on in life is Vata stage. So if you're moving further into your Pitta stage and your career is taking off and you're putting more fire and passion into projects, mm. or for anyone else who's listening, you're building a family or you're taking care of kids or you're taking yeah. care of your parents or you know relatives or something, like you're taking on the role of the organizer and you need that fire and that passion to get things done, especially in this phase of life, like this middle phase of life. And when it comes to the pulse, so I'm not an expert on taking pulse, but there are layers to the pulse. So there's the superficial layer, which is telling us what's kind of out of balance right now. Yeah. And then there's a deeper layer, which is supposed to be telling us our prakriti, our constitution. Mm. And so I've had similar experience where um, I've had my pulse taken by a couple of different practitioners and a doctor, and they basically all, all but one told me vata. Mm. But if you look at my body type and my bone structure I'm, I'm pizza I have a square jaw I have a more muscular body type um yeah so and my mind is definitely pizza just in the way that I love knowledge and learning and the whole teacher thing and you know mm. um even journalism and activism and like all of these themes that are really prominent in my life are very pizza so the vata is secondary but yet that's the pulse that shows up yeah, so. that's very interesting because, yeah, I always, I, I never kind of like resonated with the Kapha kind of diagnosis, like Vata, yes, totally, like maybe even not in my physiology, but definitely in my personality, I'm very Vata, I'm, you know, off in the clouds, like I'm much happier in the moon and the stars than on planet Earth and, you know, the practicalities of life are just like not my scene. Um, at, at all, you know, but, um, but then there is that, you know, I wouldn't say that. So when it came to this kind of grounding element, I was like, really, I'm like, not particularly, like, I'm not particularly grounded, I wouldn't say. And um, yeah, and then when he said Pitta, I was like, okay, actually, that does really resonate with me. So that kind of takes me to my next question, which would be, Okay, so you've identified these these elements of yourself, and so say I would I would say like right now, Vata comes very naturally to me. This kind of creative, maybe airy um, side, and um, but I feel like to get things done, I need to have that element of Pitta. And so, how would I observe this in my day to day life? Is that I you know I do I want to lean more into Pitta or do I, am I like, do I need to balance that out a little bit and, and bring elements of Kapha into my life? How do we look at that? <laughs> this is such a good question. And I want to say that Ayurveda looks at us as unique individuals, mm. but there's another part that's really important for all of us. And that is that there is a natural rhythm to the day. Mm. Yeah. So, <clears throat> it's kind of like there's the part of recognizing what's in or out of balance and what we personally need more of or less of yeah. to feel in balance. But the other part is recognizing that there's already a rhythm. Yeah. So Ayurveda teaches that ideally we'd rise with the sun yeah. and they throw out the time of 6 a.m. like that we're all up at 6 a.m. Okay. <laughs> no judgment if you're not. I've gone through phases of sticking with it in phases of not so much. Yeah. I have small kids, so I'm always up by seven. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> And then the pizza time of night starts at 10 p.m., so Ayurveda would suggest that we all go to bed at 10 p.m. Mm. 
and that lunch would be between like close to noon because that's when the digestive fire has the power of the sun mm. so I Ayurveda suggests that we eat a lighter breakfast to break the fast yeah. in the morning we eat a lighter dinner so that we're not sitting with heavy food yeah. overnight and that we have a more substantial meal midday so these are kind of general there's always wiggle room there's always the exception you know if you have some sort of condition where you need to eat more eat less or whatever but it's a basic foundation for piecing together what the day looks like so for everyone it's recommended that we have some sort of daily rhythm Mm. it doesn't mean that you have to do the same thing every day but I personally try to keep going to bed waking up in meal times in at in a particular you know, like uh, in a rhythm. So I eat breakfast between 7 and 8. I eat lunch between 11 and 1 and dinner between 5 and 7. And then I try to go to bed by 10. It doesn't always happen. But um, there, there's that rhythm that's the container for vata dosha. So vata is the one that goes out of balance easiest for everyone, regardless of what your constitution is. Um, so for everybody, having a daily rhythm of some sort is going to help vata to stay in balance. And now... To layer that in with your unique constitution, I you know to start with creating some sort of daily rhythm, yeah, and then from there noticing, because sometimes that's all it takes, right? Mm-hmm. If if the vata is like kind of all over the place and yeah, feeling disorganized and scattered and multitasking and like energy is all over the place, sometimes just creating the bedtime and the morning routine mm. so that you have a solid amount of sleep because Vata definitely needs to be nourished. Yeah. And then creating meal times that are regular will remedy a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then throw in mindful eating. And if you don't have a serious health condition, like you could change your life with that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. It's such amazing advice. And this is actually something that I always found the doshas, like as I've probably expressed in this, is that I always found it a little confusing. And I'm like, oh, do I eat this? Do I not eat this? We, you know, that kind of thing. But the Ayurvedic clock really resonated with me. And um, the eating times as well, I find really interesting because I have always preferred to eat my ma- main meal at lunch. Like that's when I'm most hungry. And I, I love that. And I could even just have like soup for dinner and it doesn't, you know, that's, that's kind of how I eat or and even like breakfast I could give or take breakfast like it's not a thing for me you know so um when I was like doing it intermittent fasting I was like you know this is great this works for me right so I found um I have definitely found some freedom in that and I think that it's a beautiful way to structure the day I'm not quite as good on the sleep thing sometimes it's maybe like does it count if I'm still awake at 6 a.m or that's like breaking. The <laughs> like, you know, how do we work that? Like, you know? <laughs> well, you need rest. Everybody needs rest. Yeah. I mean, no, that's absolutely. like I'm one of joking. the pillars of health, right? Like diet, lifestyle, rest, and yeah. moderation of energy. So you need yeah. sleep for and, sure. <laughs> and I think the structure as well allow. You touched on something as well that's so vata that I know when I'm getting out of balance because. I'm trying to do too many things at once and nothing is really getting done. Things are still on my to-do list by the end of the day, even though I've been busy all day, you know? And when I really tune in and just go, I'm getting this thing crossed off my list and then I'll look at the other things, that flow works so much better for me. So I, I totally agree with that. And now tell us about, so that's a really interesting perspective on the doshas that I 
and it gives me more understanding and I hope other people that are listening because sometimes when we look at these systems, like when I first heard about Ayurveda, I kind of looked at the doshas like you would look at like say your star sign or sorry, your sun sign or your, you know, human design type, energy type, where it's like, this is what it is. And you kind of have to adjust your life to that. Whereas it's, it's a little bit more fluid, I feel, than, than these things. It's like the other way around, like looking what is actually presenting in your life and aligning from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, really, the heart of Ayurvedic living is the circadian rhythm and living seasonally. Mm-hmm. So I have one teacher that she'll go and do workshops or guest presentations. She won't even use the word Ayurveda. She'll just talk about seasonal living. And that's what Ayurveda is, mm-hmm. right? And, and creating the daily rhythm. So for anyone that wants to share Ayurveda with your loved ones and you know that they, they're going to think it's kooky, I mean, modern science backs the circadian rhythm. And we, yeah. all, ba- we all know that living seasonally is mm. beneficial. <laughs> and there's a there's a, something else that struck me about the Ayurvedic clock as well, which I was just like, I love this when modern science kind of backtracks and proves these ancient sort of practices and these ancient sciences, because they, there's a lot of research now into like blue light and, um, you know, bad light and aligning with sun, you know, our natural sunlight and how it's affecting our hormones so badly. So when you look at the Ayurvedic clock, it's that perfect example of that, of like when you, you know, get sunrise, you get up that first, you know, kick of cortisol and then in through the middle of the day to kick that, you know, to keep that going forward. And then as the sun sets, you know, you're coming into this beautiful orange light, which is then, you know, getting you ready and prepared for bed. So I just love how these things play into um, going back to these these ancient practices that were so full of wisdom that we rejected because we thought we knew better, you know, <laughs> and, and that's all changed. So let's move into... Sorry. No, a perspective that's really helped me that I always teach is just like the sun rises and the sun sets, whether we acknowledge that or not. (laughs) So when we do acknowledge it, we just set ourselves up for more success. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much, there's so many things that we could, we could talk about like that, like the seasons, they're changing, they're happening with, with or without our approval you know, our acknowledgement or our approval, the moon cycles, they're shifting and changing. Whereas when we do acknowledge them, we do observe them, how much it aligns our life and how much it really benefits our life, you know, and I think that that's that's the beauty of all of this. So um, let's look at some other areas of life as well, um, about how the doshas show up and present themselves in, uh, in the space of relationships. This is such a fun topic. So I have fun. a whole so masterclass cool. on the doshas in relationships, money, and spirituality. Oh, <laughs> because fantastic. Uh, when, we, when we understand ourselves mm-hmm. and we, we have an idea of the people that we're <laughs> in relationships with in, in various ways, yeah. I just feel like this is so helpful. So basically, to look at the person's constitution, whether it's yourself or someone else, you don't have to really know everything or, you know, pulse or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But it really goes down to, it goes back to those elements and what would be the priority of someone with a lot of that element. Mm -hmm. So for example, and I think this is helpful for trying to figure out yourself for your own constitution, because when you 
acknowledge like what's really important to you, it kind of tells how your mind works. And in Ayurveda, your dosha, your constitution is your mind body. <clears throat> so what's happening in your mind is also happening in your body. Mm-hmm. So basically, kapha dosha is earth element with some water. So if we think about what earth is, it's stable. It holds things together. And water is cohesive. So yeah. someone that has that dominant in their mind is going to like be a little more, um, they're going to care about the past. Mm-hmm. So I have some cup of people in my life and like, they're really interested in history. Like they want to preserve old buildings. They see the beauty in that, you know, yeah. uh, when it's out of balance, cough of types tend more toward depression, which is really like looking into the past. Like how come life isn't the way it is mm. now? Like how it was in the past. Right. So if someone has a, strong tendency toward like wishing things were the same yeah that that could be kapha now nothing is definite because there's always different ways the mind works but these are just like overall things to sort of piece together yeah the text described kapha as making wonderful wives (laughs) because if you a kapha person with earth earth is like content yeah so the kapha person in the room is like the one that's like when they're in balance they're just chilling out. They're happy. They're willing to listen to your problems. Oprah is a kapha. She's like mm, my favorite yeah. queen kapha. Like you just want a hug from her. And um, kaphas absorb people's emotions easily. So mm. uh, like I have a kapha friend. She's like everyone just always like she'll meet strangers and strangers will tell the problem, their my problems mo- to the kapha friend. Like my mom could be in a grocery <laughs> store. And she'll be, you know, and somewhat, she'll, I'll be like, how did you find that information out? They just told me, you know, like, that is exactly yeah. how she is. That's like, so there's funny. just this, like, aura about a kapha, like, you you know, so, so this kind of, like, these are things that you might notice in a kapha. So yeah. when they're in balance and vibrant and, like, their best self, yeah. then they're very stable, they're very loving, they're content, um, the type of job a kapha might make like a great massage therapist or a nurse or uh, definitely a great counselor, like good listener and like not trying to change or fix everything because they're more stable. So then a pitta type personality has mostly fire. Mm -hmm. So pitta is like, they want to get things done. They want to be the boss. They want to be in charge. They don't have a problem promoting themselves, making themselves a leader. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, they get stuff done in this world. Yeah. And so, of course, when that's out of balance, they get too bossy, they get judgmental, they get irritated with other people that don't cooperate with their plan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then a Vata-type person, the space element, the space element has no end to it. There's, like, endless possibilities, and that air element can take you there. So the Vata person can figure out things that other people can't figure out. So Um, you know, they know how to like program a computer or create something or just see something in a totally different way that the rest of us don't see. So Vata types might have like a lot of psychic energy. They might be like great tarot card readers and things like that. As well as like kind of people, I think. Yeah. So, and they're also the ones that like get lost in their own head. Like a Vata friend will just like disappear and you might not hear from them for days or weeks, depending on your relationship. (laughs) Um, and they, so when it's out of balance, it just can be like way out in the clouds. And Mm. so when, and so if you think about like what 
is a priority for each of these people, mm. Kafa prioritizes relationships, stability, and kind of keeping things the way they are. They're not yeah. interested so much in like changing things. Mm. Pitta prioritizes knowledge and science. Like Pitta's want scientific evidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're also and tend to be like like justice and activists and things mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And then vatas are creative and expansive and um, like take us to new places. They're visionaries. Yeah. So when we kind of see those patterns in ourselves, and for me, when I was confused about what my dosha was, my prominent one, yeah. as soon as I realized the pitta mental aspect, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm a pitta. Like, <laughs> I want things done a certain way. I want to be in charge. I want, I want justice. Like mm. I care about, you know, so those yeah. are like my top priorities. So when we understand that about people, when we're working with someone, um, we can have more empathy for what's important to them. So for example, if you are in a position where you have a coworker or you're hiring someone, if you understand the person's strength and weakness, then you can set yourself up for success. So like if I'm a pizza boss and I have a Vata employee, I know that this person is going to be very creative. And when I need some graphic design, when I need a new branding thing, when I need new ideas, like this person is the one that's going to be the visionary and they're probably going to come up with something way more expansive than I could have Mm. thought of, or they're going to bring really cool ideas to the table. And then maybe I want to talk to uh, my Kafa employee or my Kafa coworker. And I know that they're going to be more interested in the relationship aspect. Like, Oh, well, how does this idea affect other people mm. like they're going to be more interested in the human component yeah and then the pizza person is probably going to be interested well how like if you have a pizza boss and you're trying to present something to them how much money is this going to make us <laughs> what are the drawbacks like yeah. they're going to want to know like the facts and and so just knowing that about people like what's important to them yeah. and then in our friendships and our relationships and our family members um knowing that the vata person might not call you back for a long time and so I, there's two approaches. You could just accept that, or you could set a reminder that you're going to call and check on them frequently because you know that they're not going to call you. Yeah, okay. So there's, like, different, you know, it's like if you, and if you have a partner, like, a, in a relationship, then, uh, for example, like, if you have a coffee partner, you, you might notice, like, they're less apt to want to change things. And when that's out of balance, like, they might not um, take a new job that would actually be really expansive for them because they just don't want to change, but even though they kind of want to change. So, like, knowing that about the person, like, you could give them a little extra push. Yeah. Yeah. So, depending on your relationship with them. And so now it's like, I love this example of, let's say you wanted to go to yoga class and you noticed you don't have to necessarily know your own constitution, mm-hmm. but you could like you could look at what's going on in your life right now. So if you know that you're kind of all over the place, would it make sense to be going to a like aerial yoga where you're hanging in the air? Yeah, yeah. Or to go to a grounding class where the kapha teacher is like very loving and slow paced and you know diffusing lavender. Yeah. 
or to go to a pizza class where they're like it's power yoga and we're like going through the poses and strong so knowing something about what's happening in your own body and mind can help you make choices for yourself like for example like I personally am pizza pizza stage of life like I love kapha yoga teachers right now like I'm all about yin and stable relaxing earth energy but then when I'm dealing with other people, like if I know the person's very pizza, I might I might look up a scientific study and take that with me for the talk. <laughs> Be like, look, you know, I don't know. Like if yeah. let's say I'm trying to um, in a consult or if I have a client that's very pizza, like they're gonna yeah. want evidence. They want yeah, they want that information. And that's- right, like I might have to like pull out the Taraxam Hita and show them the passage where it <laughs> says Ayurveda says do this. Like they might just not take my word for it. In fact, yeah. one of my favorite Ayurveda books, I forget which one, but he talks about like a pizza will start to question their own therapist or their own doctor. <laughs> yeah, the things that you're describing right now are just like absolutely. Like, are you actually related. qualified to help me? Because I'm yeah. not sure about your advice anymore. You know, it's like. I mean, it, where, make, it makes me laugh because it comes back to the beginning of our conversation where I was like, yeah, but I did yoga teacher training because I did it for me. Like, I've, I'm like, why do I go to everybody else's classes? I want to know for myself, you know? So it's, it's really funny how these things present. But I think that's really interesting from a client point of view to be able to have that understanding because you can present things in, in such a different way. Um, such a more specialized way to them you know you can come to the pitta with the information you can come to the vata with something very poetic and dreamy and um you know and um then the 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 kapha you know something very grounding and stable and i think in relationships as well it's like you know you can make the decision how is this relationship going to work in the long term because i guess if you're if you're a pitta and even a vata as well, I think pitta really values like growth, personal growth and moving forward and keeping things moving. And if you're in a relationship with a kapha, that can maybe be balancing and the perfect relationship, or it can be really challenging because that person prioritizes stability and you're wanting to go and grow. And um, similarly with the vata, you know, you can be, they are going to want to be creative. They're going to want to, jump on a plane tomorrow without any notice and you know you're at home going but hang on I'm preparing the house with the dog and the white picket fence right and so that's that's something really interesting to be aware of when you kind of like dating and figuring things out yes so one source talks about how if you want um like a smoother easier life Mm -hmm. then perhaps you would choose someone that is the same as you, but if you want spiritual growth, then being in a relationship with someone that is the opposite pushes you to grow for that exact reason, because like for the pizza that's in a relationship that wants things done a certain way, Mm. if they're with another pizza, like they, they might, you know, have a spreadsheet with their budget balance they might have their vacation planned out to a t you know they use the travel guide to pick the best place and like everything kind of like um when people yeah when they're similar it's like there's not much arguing for per se because everyone has the same perspective so in that aspect there's not that much growth because you are just like whereas um the kapha person might hold 
you if your soul needs more stability in this lifetime like mm. that's one of your lessons that you're here to learn yeah then having a kapha person might help you to create more stability whereas like if your soul is here to open your mind a little bit and not be so rigid yeah. then perhaps that vata partner is going to help you with that and friendships do that same thing yeah, as well totally. it's just that of course we spend so much time and make life decisions with the partner so it's mm. More and it's prominent. more heightened, I think. It's more intimate, obviously, so it's it's more heightened. But I think it's I think in terms of friendships, um, you know, you can also have a great variety of um, you know these different combinations, and I think that's really powerful as well to be able to acknowledge who that is in your life, and instead of you know wanting the vata to be you know, a kapha to you, you know, stop expecting that of someone because it's it's just not who they are and it doesn't make them a bad person or, a, you know, it, it's that's their, you know, they have other giftings and they have other things to add to the friendship. And um, so that's a really, I think that's a great takeaway actually from, from this, for sure. Yeah, I mean, if you are talking to your pizza friend about your relationship problems and their eyes are just kind of glazing over because they want to solve your problem and they know you're not going to listen. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe you should be, like, pouring your heart out to your kappa friend that's a little more empathetic and cares more and about relationships. And it's interesting because I can see even myself in different situations how I maybe, you know, can mold more into... I can be more kapha in certain situations or, you know, yeah, I think that's, that's interesting because we are a mix of all of them, you know, and maybe that's the skill in life is dialing into each of those spaces when it's necessary, you know? Yeah, I feel like that's one of the reasons we're attracted to certain friends or even that we're given family members, you know, like sometimes mm. they're there to support us and then sometimes they're there to create a little bit of friction so that we are forced to grow to even though that's uncomfortable yeah. but uh, I feel like when we understand the elements and the doshas for me it's just a helpful tool in this growth like mm. oh well this person's just kind of always going to be that way they're very kapha like they're not interested in changing who they are so yeah I'm just going to practice it which um pitta's oftentimes our work is to soften a little bit because we can be very disciplined ourselves. And when we are friends or working with people that don't have that same discipline, we're like, come on, just get it together. Yeah. Which especially working with clients, but understanding like not everyone operates that way and that mm -hmm. they have other gifts and unique talents. And, and so like you were saying, when you're working with someone, um, when, for, if you have a coffee client, it's suggested like, that you really have to help them find something they're excited about. You know, mm. if you tell a pizza client, I think that it would benefit you to go walking five days a week, they'll probably do it, especially yeah. if they paid for a session with you <laughs> or whatever. But like a kapha person, if you said, I think you need more movement, they're probably not going to do it unless you help them. Like, yeah. well, would you want to do dance? Do you want to hula hoop? Like, let's find something you're excited about that yeah. you actually want to do. <laughs> mm. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. And, um, how do these things play out in terms of our dharma? How is it? How can we, you know, utilize these these elements of ourselves to really, you know, um, amplify, I guess, and express our soul purpose? 
I feel like our sole purpose is to elevate consciousness. Yeah. Like each one of us has a unique way that we're gifted that we do that. Yeah. And the first step is really working on ourselves because we're not elevating anyone else's consciousness mm-hmm. if we're stuck in the same place. So just that sole work of going to yoga or doing meditation or whatever type of self growth that you feel called to work on, I think is like the place to start. And then diving into recognizing your unique gifts and talents and understanding the doshas and the elements might be part of that journey. Mm -hmm. So recognizing that maybe you're a visionary or maybe you're a teacher or an activist, or maybe you are supportive and great at helping people work through their emotions. So just learning more about ourselves. And of course there are so many tools out there. So there's diving into the doshas and learning more about yourself from the Ayurvedic perspective. There's human design, which Mm -hmm. has been, it's not, you know, connected to Ayurveda because it's a modern system, but I found it super helpful. And there's Jyotish or astrology and just so many ways to understand yourself because the more that you understand yourself, the more you can be really clear and authentic in what you're sharing, which is what the world needs right now. Yeah. And I also think that our spiritual practices help us step into our Dharma because like I said, when you recognize that this is divine wisdom or knowledge, it's passing through you. Yeah. There's less, stress about getting it right or perfect because you're just sharing something that's that's more important than you the individual yeah that's an amazing perspective i love that you're speaking my language i love it yeah it's fabulous and um so tell us for for those of our listeners that want to dive more into ayurveda tell us about simply ayurveda and the services that you offer what we can expect from simply ayurveda I'm at simpleayurveda.com, mm-hmm. and I have a podcast, the Simple Ayurveda podcast, where I just talk about real-life Ayurveda stuff, very practical, and, and share all the ways I mess it up. <laughs> and then um, through Simple Ayurveda, I have a free email newsletter, and I will send you a modern-day dosha quiz, which looks at some things like the texture of your hair or how often you call your mom or things like that to sort of help you figure out what your tendencies are as well as a free video lesson that walks you through the doshas with pictures of celebrities for reference to kind of recognize body types and things like that. So that's all free. And then if you want to dive further, the Simple Ayurveda Collective is a resource where I put monthly lessons in there based on themes. So the doshas in depth was one of the themes. We have lessons on the moon and living in sync with the moon. Um, recently a whole unit on Dharma and then now we're going through Prana, Tejas and Ojas which are the subtle aspects of the elements so there's just a theme every month there's a live workshop that comes with it that's recorded there's a group chat off of social media so it's a really supportive fun way and it's very low cost Mm -hmm. and then for yoga teachers once I started practicing Ayurveda seriously, I realized like my yoga practice had to change. So I have continuing education courses for yoga teachers. There's one on sequencing and theming with Ayurveda, one on the chakras and the doshas, Mm -hmm. and then one on yin yoga and Ayurveda. And those are just self-paced. They count for Yoga Alliance credits if that's something that yoga teachers are interested in. And just to help you align your own personal practice and your classes with Ayurveda philosophy. Fantastic, fantastic. 
I love it. And um, so tell me before we finish up, it's been such a pleasure having this conversation. I feel like I could talk for another two hours with you on this. And um, But is there anything else that um, is really on your heart that I haven't asked you about? Well, honestly, I just would love to emphasize that for anyone that's exploring Ayurveda, just one step at a time, you know, making one little tiny shift and getting comfortable with that and to know that it's a lifelong process to sync up with nature and it's, and to get stressed out or try to do everything right is really the antithesis of Ayurveda. So let mother nature support you. And just as you go into the journey of Ayurveda, take your time and, and really live it and don't let it be something on your to-do list. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And before you leave us, can you leave us with one um, practice that our listeners could integrate today? Um, One Ayurvedic practice that you think can shift and they can integrate today? I will say tongue scraping. Order a tongue scraper and do that in the morning. (laughs) But then also take five deep breaths because Mm -hmm. where, as I mentioned, Vata Dosha goes out of balance. Yeah. And then it gets pulled into balance super easy. And so just to stop throughout your day and put one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly, and to take five deep breaths regulates the prana, like pulls you back to center and helps to calm the mind and body. And if you don't think you would remember to stop and take five deep breaths, one of my favorite little hacks is to set your cell phone timer to go off at certain times and just label it, take five deep breaths (laughs) as a reminder. I love it. That's so beautiful. That's such a beautiful practice. And yeah, and also again, modern science proving ancient wisdom, um, you know, switching from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system one one go. So, so that's amazing. And um, where can our listeners find you? Well, I'm at simpleairveda.com and that. Uh, that's where the newsletter sign up is at. And then I'm also on social media on Instagram. It's simple underscore Ayurveda. And I have a free Facebook community as well. It's the simple Ayurveda community. Wonderful. Wonderful. And thank you so, so much for joining me and sharing so much of your beautiful wisdom. I've really, really enjoyed this episode and I'm sure my listeners will too. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode and you got some things to take away from our amazing guests' insight. If you did enjoy this episode, please subscribe and also leave us a review. And for more information on the Hadassah Collective, you can visit our Instagram page at Hadassah Collective. I hope you'll join me again for our next episode at the same time next week. And until then, have a wonderful week.